Our scripture lesson today comes from the book of Acts chapter 10. Let's share in God's good word together. He said to them, you yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Come, Holy Spirit. In the midst of the COVID pandemic, come, Holy Spirit, and heal our land. In the midst of the racist pandemic, come, Holy Spirit, and heal your land again. This day, in Jesus' name, come, Holy Spirit. Rebirth your church. Make us new. Give us peace where there is chaos. Give us healing where there is sickness. Give us love where there is hate. Come, Holy Spirit. My name is Mark Foster, and I'm the founding senior pastor here at Acts 2 United Methodist Church uh, of our people, uh, known by that name. And we are so glad to be back in your homes and back in worship this Sunday for the first time um, since March. And so we are in a series, a sermon series called Come, Holy Spirit. We're looking at the entire book of Acts. And today we pick up the story at Acts chapter 10. Today we're going to talk about race and racism and how we see it even in the early moments of the church. But there are nine full chapters that we need to look at very quickly before we get there. There's been a long way before we get to this problem that we face today. And so let's get started. As a way of introduction, uh, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends. We find the book of Acts written by St. Luke. Uh, It falls right behind uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we have the Acts of the Holy Spirit as lived out through the apostles and the early church. And so in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes to earth and blesses and unites. And 120 followers become 3,000 in that day. And in Acts chapter 4, just two chapters later... 
many of those who heard the word believed, and they numbered about 5,000. So in two chapters, the church has gone from 3,000 to 5,000, and it's growing up. In Acts chapter 6, it says, Now during those days when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And so this wonderful coming together of people from all nations and all tribes um, together there in Jerusalem, these Jewish folks from all these different regions, things were going so well. But already by chapter 6, we have a problem that a certain group of people, the Hellenists, their widows, over against other widows that were being treated fairly, they were having a problem. And so here, even in chapter 6, trouble and division begin. Trouble and division begin with cultural differences. You see, Hellenists were Jews who had adopted Greek language or customs. In the same way, if um, you moved to another country and you started to second generation, third generation, maybe you were beginning to lose your native language, whatever that might be. Or, or some of your native culture, some of the pieces that were important to your family system, to your parents or your grandparents or your great-grandparents. This was happening um, to the Jewish people. Um, the Greek language was a way of life all around the world. Uh, people spoke uh, Hebrew, but they also spoke Greek um, all around the world. And so these Hellenists um, were Jews who had adopted these Greek ways of life. And so in verse 7 it says this in chapter 6. The word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, the capital city. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And so the movement of Christ, um, these Jewish people who had found the Messiah, Jesus, the one raised from the dead as had been promised to them. Now they're growing and growing, and even the priests in Jerusalem are coming around and joining the church, this, these people known as the way. And so the church grows in Jerusalem, including priests, the priests of the people of God. And so they're turning um, or expanding um, what they understand as being faithful Jews to following the ways of the Messiah. We'll remember that Jesus is Jewish, and this is all happening within the Jewish context. And then, um, this is somewhat unfair, I know, but I'm going to go right on by Acts chapter 7, 8, and 9. This is where we find this, the incredible sermon of Stephen and the conversion of Saul. But we're going to have to hold that for just a moment and keep moving as we find the church growing and developing under the leadership of Peter, the first bishop, the first leader of the church. Uh, the one who Jesus says, and even the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that you are leading, Peter. You are the leader of the church. You, my rock. And so, in Acts chapter 9, the story picks up here. Meanwhile, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was built up, living in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. So the church is growing and growing from 120 to 2,000 to 3,000 to 4,000 to 5,000. It's growing in Jerusalem and all of these areas, Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, all of them are just north of Jerusalem and it expands all the way up into Israel. And so north of Jerusalem, the church had unity, it grew, and it had peace in the Jewish communities. So meanwhile, Peter then heads west. He stayed in Joppa for some time 
with a certain Simon, a tanner. Now, as the story just transitions here, you wouldn't think anything necessarily of this passage at all. Peter goes west to Joppa, big deal, and stays with the tanner. Oh my goodness, if you were an Orthodox Jew, this was a huge deal. You could never stay with a tanner. They were considered unclean, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. So, Jerusalem's here, and then Judea and Samaria and Galilee is going to be all the way up here. We see where the Sea of Galilee is. All of this area, lots of peace and doing great. But Peter's going to go from Jerusalem over to Joppa and stay at the house of someone who was considered unclean. Now, a tanner was practically an outcast in their community. Jewish law regarded the work as defiling because Simon the tanner had to deal um, with dead animals. And so he was permanently unclean. If your work day to day was to um, you know, kill animals and to skin them um, and to use those hides, uh, you know, it would be a stinky business and it would be a difficult business and it, you were just unclean. Nobody wanted to be around you. But God had called him over, uh, Peter, over to stay with him. And so he does. So Peter, staying with Simon, shows the beginnings of compassion outside the law. There were all sorts of laws that would forbid Peter from going and staying there, even talking to him or being in his presence, much less staying with him. And this leads us to one of the great turning points in the history of the church in Acts chapter 10. William Barclay says it like this. He says, for the first time, a Gentile is to be admitted into its fellowship. All these thousands of people previously were Jewish from different areas of the world but they all had um, the Jewish faith in common. And so Acts 10 starts out like this. In Caesarea, um, which is going to be north of Joppa, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort. Now, if you were a reader in the first century, there's all sorts of problems with this first sentence. Uh, First of all, it's in an area that's uh, controlled by Rome. It's a Roman outpost. And they hated them. They would consider them uh, perhaps terrorists. They had come in and taken over their land. They hated them. He was a centurion, which meant he had hundreds of soldiers underneath him. And he was an Italian uh, cohort. And so he wasn't one of them. He actually ruled over them. He had, in their minds, violated their law, their culture, their people. Yet, the scripture says he was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. So other than he's not one of them and he represents sort of all the bad things that could happen. In his personal life, he was an amazing person. You see, Cornelius was a Roman centurion and the Jews hated Rome and he was stationed at Caesarea. The cohort was what might, we might call a battalion of up to about 600 men. Yet, he was a devout man. He feared God and he gave generously. He prayed constantly, but he simply wasn't Jewish. Now, Cornelius was known as a God-fearer. Now, God-fearers were a group of people who did not accept circumcision or the law and all of it. Now, in the, the larger ethic Right? They believed in one God and the ethic of the Jewish religion. They believed in 
honoring the Lord God, one God, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. They got that, but they didn't follow all the details of the food laws, of circumcision, uh, and what made someone clean or unclean. They didn't do that part, but they would show up at synagogue. And so this is who uh, Peter is about to encounter. And so Peter is down in Joppa. He's not at Caesarea yet. He's going to head there in just a little bit. And he begins to pray. He goes up to the roof and, and he has this vision. Uh, some people uh, might even say that of all the fumes and all the things going underneath him, um, he might have been a little high. But in any case, this is what he sees. This is the dream that he has. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven open and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. Hear that, friends. What God has called clean, Peter nor we can call profane. And this happened three times. And we know around here in the Bible that if something happens three times, you are to wake up and pay attention. Like when Jesus tells uh, the story in Luke 15 of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, we're supposed to get that story. So that this happened three times is a very big deal. And the thing was suddenly taken up into heaven. You see, Roman soldiers from Cornelius then show up to see Peter. So, remember the little map? Here's Caesarea. This is where Cornelius is. And he sends some of his soldiers to go down to Joppa to pick up Peter and to bring him back up. So in the very moment that Peter's having this trance, Cornelius' folks are knocking on the door. They've made their way to him. So while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit says to Peter, Look, three men are searching for you. Now get up and go down and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. I want you to see what the Spirit of God is doing. God is uniting. God is sending people to unite them and to bless them and to bring people in who are not yet in his kingdom and his blessing. And so into the church, he says, I've sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they answered, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in. Now again, Modern day readers can read that. They don't think anything of it. But if you were a reader in the first century, that would shock you. Peter is not supposed to have anything to do with a Roman soldier, much less a centurion. And he's sure not supposed to invite them in. He's not supposed to have anything to do with these people. And not only does he invite them in, he gives them lodging. So you can see that whether he's at Simon's house and he's starting to have this compassion or whether it's about uh, inviting in Cornelius' soldiers, this compassion is starting to happen. He is already throwing caution to the wind with a number of the very strict laws of Judaism at the time. But the story continues. Peter invites them in and he gives them lodging. That's a very big deal. And the next day, 
They begin their track up to Caesarea. They travel 34 miles on foot. They go north to the Roman centurion's house. And so again, the little map, they're going from here, and this is 34 miles. If you were to look at a map today, um, Tel Aviv's going to be right here, um, just a little north of Joppa, and then Caesarea is a coastal city uh, today. It's beautiful, absolutely beautiful there. So in Acts chapter 10, it says this, the next day, Peter got up and went with them. And some of the believers from Joppa accompanied him. The following day, they came to Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Notice that Peter's not about to go to that neighborhood, to that area of the country without some backup. You're you're supposed to know that he's a little nervous about this. See, the other believers from Joppa, they're going to go. They're going to make sure that Peter's going to be okay. Because under all of this, Peter's really struggling with racism. He's, he's been struggling with, with what it is to invite people who aren't like him, weren't raised like him, don't think like him, aren't circumcised like him, don't eat, eat the food that he eats. How in the world are they going to be family? How are they going to live for Jesus together? How are they going to do that? You see, Peter is in the wrong neighborhood with the wrong people with the wrong food. And God has just, the Spirit has given him an entire vision about all of this that said, hey, you, you got to get past that, Peter. Don't you ever call unclean what I've called clean. These are my children too. Go talk to them. And, and somehow he does. He does. And as he talked with them, he went in and found that many had assembled. You see, it's, it's not just that Cornelius was there. That was bad enough. But now all of his folks are around. And he said to them, you yourselves know that it is against the law. It is unlawful for me to even speak to you, to associate with you, or to visit a Gentile. Now you'll note that all these many assembled, they're all Gentiles. They're not Jews. I mean, it's really almost embarrassing that that this is who, you know, the founder of the church is in this. Like, Like, I'm here, but you know, it's against the law for me to do this. But then he says this, but God, and friends, you know this, those two words change everything, but God. Peter says, but God has shown me. God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So Peter says, it's against the law, yes, for me to visit you, but God has shown me. And I wonder if there are things in your life that you grew up thinking or grew up believing Or maybe even you'd been taught by people you cared about. But God is now showing you something different. Something more loving. Something more kind. Something bigger. Something greater. Than what you've known before. And what does Cornelius do? To this really overt racism and demeaning talk of Peter. He simply shares his experience. Cornelius says, this is my experience of God. I know that I'm not Jewish. I know that I don't fulfill the law in its fullness, but I believe in God, and and this is my experience. And so he tells Peter his experience. He says, four days ago at this very hour at three o'clock, I was praying in my house when suddenly a man in dazzling clothes stood before me. He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. 
He is staying in the home of Simon, a tanner by the sea. Therefore, I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. So now all of us are here in the presence of God to listen to all that the Lord has commanded you to say. So what happens next? Cornelius tells his experience, and Peter has the good sense to listen. He actually sets aside his prejudgments and simply listens to the experience of someone who's not like he is. So Peter listens, and he responds that God has shown him that we do serve a God that shows no partiality. So Peter begins to speak. He says this, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears God and does what is right is acceptable to God. Anyone, any nation. And you know the message has he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You see, the Holy Spirit unites what culture and law divide. The Holy Spirit is always working, always working, always working for your good and the good of the world. And while Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word, Jews and Gentiles alike. And, and we can see Peter beginning to get it. He's starting, uh, those, those cracks of compassion are starting to get bigger and bigger and his heart is opening. But what about those people he brought with him? They're not quite yet convinced. And by chapter 11, it's going to be a problem. We won't get there today, but just know this problem of race and misunderstanding and cultural differences, it's been around a long time and it is really hard to get rid of. You see, the other believers that came with them, they struggled with racism too. And we do too. This is what happened next. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Notice it, it doesn't read had been poured out on the Gentiles. It's like, no, like we can't believe it. We are astounded. It doesn't say that, you know, they, they saw that coming or even that they were. No, they were astounded that the gift of the Spirit, that God's Spirit would go to someone outside their people, their zip code, so to speak, and had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Now, I wish that I could say that this was only a problem for the early church, but it's not. The great Billy Graham, not long ago, before his passing, wrote these words in a speech. I want to share them with you. He said, tragically, too often in the past, Christians have turned a blind eye to racism or have been willing to stand aside while others take the lead in racial reconciliation, saying it was not our responsibility. Our consciences should be stirred to repentance by how far we have fallen short of what God asks us to be as agents of reconciliation. Of all the people, Christians should be the most active in reaching out to those of other races instead of accepting the status quo of division and animosity. Isn't that true? I think Billy Graham was right. We have work to do, friends. We have real important work to do. And this means overcoming some things that we've all grown up with. Every family system has them, mine included. When I was in elementary school, I went to visit my family. 
And when I visited with my cousins and my family and my friends, uh, they wanted to share with me a brand new, super cool card game. It was called, you know, that's what they told me, you know. And as you play this game, uh, one of the things that you do is when you get down to just one card, you say, you know, I have one card and you have to say it before other people say it. So it's, it's all about, you know, and so I love this game, you know. You know it's a good game. You know what you do when you have one card. You know you play it with your friends. It's a great game. But then when I got to Spanish class, I found out that uh, this word is pronounced uno, as in one. Yes, I have one card left. Now, I suppose if I wanted to, I could just ignore the new information that's come into my life around the Spanish language and just continue to play, you know. But I think I might seem kind of foolish. And I think I might not do so well trying to get other people to play my old family game of you know. And I just wonder if there aren't some other things in my life, things that I've been taught, that I need to rethink, I need to relook at. And I wonder if maybe you have those too. That there are just some things that as you reflect as an adult now, not as a child, things you learned, values you hold, maybe they don't align with the Spirit of God. Maybe they're not the teachings of Jesus, of loving even those who persecute you, forgiving your enemies, turning the other cheek, living in the fruit of the Spirit that Paul writes about. That in Christ Jesus there is no slave nor free, male nor female, Jew nor Greek any longer. That we are all one in Christ Jesus. I just wonder. I want to invite you as your action step this week to ask yourself the question, what do you need to unlearn from your growing up? And it may be hard for you to see. It may be hard for you to accept, but I would ask, that you would ask God to show you. Just simply say, God, if there's anything in me that's not of you, anything at all that you want to root out of me and change in me so that your kingdom could come in a greater capacity in my life, do it. Do it, God. Bring it. Bring your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and make me new. More like your son, Jesus Christ. And in this season of strife in our country, I want you to know that it's not enough to say, I'm not a racist. Oh, okay, so you're not a racist. What are you doing about it? We don't do this with any other category. We don't say, well, I'm not a child abuser. Well, it's great. I hope you're not. But that doesn't mean that we don't work against child abuse. Of course we do. We don't say, well, I'm not a person who has cancer. Well, well great. But we still have marches and runs for people who do have cancer, who are having to put up with that pain and strife in their life, who are having to overcome that evil in their life. We, we don't do this with anything else. It's not enough to say, I, I'm, I'm not a person who uh, is terrible to my spouse. We need to continue to work with the w, YWCA and to provide shelters and to help women who are in trouble and children who are in trouble and people who are in trouble. It's, not, it's just not enough to say that I'm not a whatever your blank is there. Because we are people called by God to bring heaven to earth.
We pray it here every week. And I pray that you will pray it again with me in earnest right now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Here on earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.